Hi everyone, this is John and TJ. Math Talk is where we answer your questions about online lessons, math learning, and the meaning of mathematics. Please make sure to check out our website, allownersnetwork.com, for free resources. And under the events tab, there are a bunch of free, thank you to the Vermont Agency of Education, uh, workshops, as well as other math professional development opportunities for both synchronous and asynchronous learning. So today we are joined by an amazing math educator and author of the series Math and Practice, as well as the new series Math by the Book. These are both published by Heinemann. Sue O'Connell, who's joining us from Maryland. Welcome, Sue. Thank you. I'm so excited to be with you this morning. Welcome, Sue. It's so good to see and hear you. Uh, I'd love if you could start by just telling us a little bit about your own math journey. I have always liked math. I have always been pretty good at math. I was one of those people that took all the math classes you could take in high school, you know, the Algebra 1, Algebra 2, Geometry, Trig, Calculus, but I never loved math until I got to college. Mm. And I took a course called Teaching Math in the Elementary School. And it was taught by a TA. And he had us exploring the why and the how of everything we've been doing in elementary mathematics. And I absolutely loved it. And I had so many aha moments during that class that that's why you do it that way, or that's why that property works, that I had never experienced as a student in mathematics all of those years. So I did become an elementary teacher and was also a reading specialist, had my reading certification at the time. So I thought I was destined to go down that path, go from elementary teacher to reading specialist. But I had a principal who asked me to coordinate some math programs at the school, to do a little bit of math PD for other teachers, to do some parent programs. And I absolutely loved it. I started taking more math courses and I became a math coach before we actually called it math coach. Um, so, you know, I would work with teams of teachers and really saw um, just so much math anxiety and confusion out there on the part of many of the teachers that I worked with and just found that I loved working with teachers as much as I liked working with students. And so that's when I started doing more professional learning, doing more writing, trying to share ideas with teachers. So interesting. So many people I talked to, myself included, uh, have similar stories, right? It wasn't planned. It wasn't intentional. Right. It was kind of like just life led you there. Did, but that. it took someone, too, to ignite that love of math. Yeah. Because I learned math at a time when it was workbooks and worksheets and algorithms. And even if you were good at it, there was nothing that exciting to me about it. I didn't get excited to go into math class. Did that TA uh, become someone uh, uh, who we might know? You know, is it like your TA no, was Steve no. Linewan or? <laughs> no, no. And I wish I'd kept in touch. I, I went to a very big university. So, you know, you lose touch so quickly when it's TAs that are like coming in for a while and moving on. And I wish he knew what a big impact he made on my career. But I know it's no one, okay. no famous person. Um, so we're wondering about your new series. Can you tell us about how that came about, how, uh, what was the impetus for it? 
it was it has been simmering for quite a long time. I've always loved the idea of connecting math and literature. Um, one of the first books I wrote years ago was called Now I Get It. And it was a book about, you know, kind of trying to bring students to that moment of, oh, now I get it. But also as teachers, sort of the double play on that on that phrase, as teachers like, now I get why I need to be teaching in different ways, you know, to build this understanding. And one of the chapters in that book was on using children's literature to like ignite, you know, this this um, passion and context for math situations. And then years after that, when John San Giovanni and I wrote the Master in Basic Math Facts books, we decided we were going to start every fact set with a literature link to make sure teachers were teaching these number patterns and number strategies through a context. Um, and teachers were loving the literature links there. Um, so when we did math in practice, we decided that we would definitely want to put literature links in there as well. So throughout it, there's these math and literature, you know, connections and brief little lessons. Um, and so it, it kind of has been simmering over all of those years, but we saw the way teachers loved, again, those literature links. So we thought, well, this is a good, we know teachers are loving this. So this might be a good opportunity to really start with what people love and then explore what, what good teaching looks like through this context that the story brings. Um, a, a, a friend of mine, also a Heinemann author, does a similar thing with science education. She does, Valerie Bong Jensen, she does cross-cutting concepts uh, all through literature as well. It's a very popular topic with elementary school teachers. Absolutely. But still, you know, if we think about that idea that we still have many elementary teachers with um, anxiety about teaching mathematics and lack of confidence in teaching mathematics, but they will express a real strength in teaching language arts. And the more I saw how excited teachers were getting about the literature connections in other things that I've done, the more I thought, well, this series really might allow a lot of elementary teachers to start with their strength, you know, with that literacy area and help them see the connections to teaching math and maybe even build, you know, a little confidence and a little love of mathematics in those teachers who were real literacy people. Yeah, we, we have similar goals that um, all learners were working on a project called Happy Math, which is about um, math, deep math concepts for people who are math anxious, which we find is true with a lot of um, a lot of people who are going into the field or who might already be in the field. How did you convince, I'm reading this question, but you should know who wrote it. How did you get the amazing, the incredible T.J. Jemison to be part of your writing team? <laughs> who could have written that who particular written that question? question? Yeah, I, and I'll tell you, the adjective there is what gives it away. The amazing. <laughs> um TJ was introduced to me, to me by a very respected colleague, um, Barb Blanke, and we had we met, I think, at a conference initially, and we met at several other conferences after and had lots of long conversations about mathematics, and TJ started doing some 
PD sessions for my company. And we even went together to one of those and kind of did different um, different grade levels, but had so many opportunities to sit and talk mm -hmm. that I felt like we really shared an understanding of what mathematics could be. And so he was just a natural choice for this project. Of course. You so, guys. Sue, I, I'm wondering how you got all these other people. I mean, there's there's 12 of us in all that co-wrote with you. Uh, and I mean, the, the the people who are included in this are amazing. Just the, the, when you start looking at their backgrounds and what they do and what they've accomplished. Uh, and I'm also so proud of just how diverse our writing staff is as well. I think we we represent a lot of different identities out there. So I'm, I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about the other authors as well. And how, like, how did you meet all these people? How did you get them all to do this? And and how did you keep so, us all straight in your head? That's the thing that befuddles me the so most. That was easy because everyone has their own unique personalities, but gathering that team, you know, that's really the benefit of working with lots of schools and school districts because I just meet amazing math people mm. all the time and I'll leave a district and think wow I was impressed by what whoever that person was and the conversations that we had so you know from spending time in districts from having conversations with people um you know I, I started having friends all over the country people that you'd email back and forth because you had these great math conversations with them so for some of them it was about spending time in their districts with them. Um, but some of them were longtime colleagues, people that you meet up with at, at conferences and maybe don't see them in between then, but have these great conversations each time you see them. Um, some were colleagues of colleagues, that people that I respected and I talked to about the project and who do you know and who might be really good with this, um, that they would recommend people to me. Some have worked with my company and did professional learning sessions. Some of them I had worked with on previous projects. So I knew them and their skills from that. So it really is a, a very diverse group, but each person came kind of in a little bit different way. But what I can say is that I had lengthy conversations with every one of them. You know, I remember even a lot of them sitting in hotel rooms on the hotel bed, like having an hour and a half long conversation with someone somewhere while I was traveling doing PD. And in the evening, I'd be calling some of these people talking about the project and would you like to be involved in? Here's what the project entails, because I wanted to make sure we were all on the same wavelength and everyone understood what the goals of the project were. Um, and, and what I can just tell you is they are all exceptional math educators. They know their math. They know instruction. Um, I'm just really proud of this team. It's, it's just a wonderful team of educators. I, I know the feeling, actually. We're starting to pull together more and more people as part of the All Learners Network to work in schools. And I have the same experience Um running into people who you see in a school who are extraordinary teachers and meeting people at conferences. It's, it's a, it's a lovely journey because sometimes I feel it, you know, especially when I'm in, I spend a lot of time in the schools locally. And sometimes I feel like I'm watering a garden with a teaspoon. And so when I meet all these other folks, uh, it makes me feel like, you know, we are gathering some momentum and we are making some change and, how math is taught. And eventually, you know, just like everything else, we will get there. Reading uh, Reader's Workshop 
didn't come on board in a day. Um, we're taking a little longer, but we'll, we will get there. Eventually. We are. Um, so we've talked a lot in our podcast about equity and access for students. Um, we had a colleague of ours, Ashley Marlowe, on who talked about the importance of belonging if you're going to learn well. Um, how, how do you see the connection between literature and children developing that sense of belonging as math learners? I, I think belonging can have a lot of different meanings. Um, so when I'm thinking about literature um, or any math lesson, I mean, belonging is being able to relate to what's being talked about. And we know sometimes kids can't relate to, many kids can't relate to math when it's in a very abstract form. But mm. if my experiences are outside the realm of what's being talked about, then I feel lost. And so stories give kids that shared experience. They, they're focused on the character and the events and what's going on in the story. And by the time you're done with that read aloud, we're talking about something that is now a common shared experience within students in the class. And so they have something to say about it. They've all heard that same story. Um, but I also think about belonging as being seen and in, in this, you know, context of stories, what we're looking for is books that have um, representation that students can look in those books and see themselves or their families or their experiences in those stories. And we really worked very hard to find, uh, to make sure we had that representation in the stories, but also to identify stories in which the authors told their own stories. So they were even more authentic. Can, could you give us some examples maybe? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, trying to think, I've got 120 books floating I, I around in my mind one. as we're talking here. So um, so the story, I, I just saw a tweet about a, an hour ago um, from Erickson Early Math, and it was on um, Omo Moses and his his book about where he talks about his um, experiences with his son and just does the mathematics that they would experience in a morning. It's called Sometimes We Do. And it's a wonderful book, but it's told from um, his perspective as an African-American male with his son. And it's just great to have that experience about this family told by an author who has had that experience. So he's sharing his own experiences. There are Grace Lynn's books where she is sharing experiences of, you know, her family. And, you know, she did an amazing TED Talk. If, if people haven't seen that, you ought to kind of look up her TED Talk on the idea of, you know, not ever seeing characters that looked like her in books when she was a child and how important it is for students to see that. And so her books, you know, share that perspective with students um, where the book is written by someone who has experienced um, that situation. So, you know, we have books with um, Hispanic authors with Meg Medina and her book on Tia Issa Wants a Car. 
um, told from her perspective and really told um, it's a story about a little girl and her aunt who are saving money to bring some family members to the United States. And she has dedicated this book to her aunt. Um, so you know that there's an authenticity to that story. Those are just a few examples. I was thinking about this exact topic this morning as I was uh, doing my little workout on my treadmill and I'm reading this book, Choosing to See. And in here, the uh, it's uh, a framework for equity in the math classroom. And here they say um, that uh, teachers want to, some teachers or historically teachers want to rescue students from their communities rather than see their communities as a resource for learning. And I feel like uh, this series, uh, at least I I'm, I'm, uh, have a lot of knowledge at third grade, I feel like that, that there's so much great representation like what you were just talking about with Mango Abuela and me, with Saffron Ice Cream, with Hanukkah Bear. Um, so I was just kind of making that connection today. Yeah. You know, I, I, I agree with everything you've said, and I think it is really important to see ourselves in the books we read. I did have a colleague at, uh, at NYU who was doing her dissertation about that topic, and she was studying uh, Latino boys in the South Bronx and how they connected to a wide variety of um, characters in young adult novels. And it was funny because I didn't see her for a long time, and then I ran into her and I was like, oh, I'm really interested. What kinds of things did you find? And, and she got a little discouraged because she said, you know, they like, they like seeing characters that look like them, but Harry Potter in the end trumps everything. Like, it's the great story. In a sense, it's more that they can see themselves in the story. The characters are important, but a good story trumps characters that look like me. And I... I I'm, it sort of wasn't surprising. On the other hand, it, it does say that, you know, in the end, we've got to have quality literature for them to read. Yeah. Absolutely. And there's other ways to see yourself in a story. Yes. You might see the ambition of a character, the perseverance of a character, those kind of things you can relate to as well. And that's why we've really tried to, to move away from the traditional written to teach mathematics stories. Not that some of those aren't wonderful, and you'll find some of those within this series, but we were looking for some really good stories that weren't written to teach math. But if we think math is everywhere, we see mathematics you know, throughout all kinds of life events. Yeah. We could gravitate towards really strong stories and teach mathematics through those stories. So things like Side by Side um, by Monica Brown, which is the story of Cesar Chavez and Dolores Huerta and the fight for farm workers' rights. And there were lots of connections to mathematics there, but that story was never written to teach mathematics, yeah. but it's a wonderful story, a great piece of literature. So we really tried to move outside of that, you know, just um, very predictable math literature and say, we can give really good quality books to kids and still use those as jumping off points to explore mathematics. Yeah. Well, so how do you, no, How do you see um, math by the book 
uh, you know, as a resource complementing other resources like math and practice or other programs that schools might use? How, how do you envision, you know, teachers and schools using it? Well, first of all, if, if, if your school is using a resource, resource that is aligned to today's standards, then this is going to fit with it because we are working on, you know, getting kids to the same place, especially if you think about those standards for mathematical practice. If you are working to help kids become better problem solvers, if you are working to help them visualize mathematics, if you are working really towards building understanding, then this is going to align with what you're doing. As far as with math in practice, um, it aligns perfectly because math in practice really started as, as one of those attempts to keep moving math instruction. You know, it goes way back to 1989 when yeah. the curriculum evaluation standards for National Council of Teachers of Math were published. And they were kind of, at least for me as a teacher at that time, they were kind of the aha moment of, wait, math is a lot more than these worksheets we've been doing in math class. It's a lot more than memorizing facts and algorithms. This is about thinking and reasoning and communicating and problem solving. It's been quite a long time since that was published. And yet still, we're struggling with how do we move our teaching in that direction? So math in practice was our answer to, or one of many, you know, people's answers to that idea of how do we transform our math teaching to better align it with standards. So we made that incredibly comprehensive. I mean, we looked at standards across the whole school year. We made it great specific. We gave teachers activities, but it really was meant to be a professional learning resource. Mm -hmm. It had a book to go with it, the guide for teachers that explored teaching strategies and brought teachers through a reflection about their teaching. It's set up as a book study. You know, it came with a guide for administrators or comes with a guide for administrators that um, helps math leaders lead their program towards that direction. It gave teachers ideas and, and you know, for teaching to understanding rather than just getting the right answer as quickly as possible the way we learned it. So what we found is the schools and districts that were using math in practice really embraced it. It got it, it has had a very warm welcome out there in schools and districts. But what we were hearing is they wanted more. They need more ideas. And they were loving those literature connections and they wanted more of those. And so it was a natural next step. It follows the same foundational ideas of math in practice, which is step back, stop telling kids how to do math and let them think it through and figure it out. Give math a context. Don't, not just a bunch of numbers and symbols, make it visual, get them talking about it, focus on the thinking. So we could take those same principles that we introduce in math and practice and that guide our, our teaching. And we'll just do another set of those with all new activities because teachers felt like they wanted more and needed more than, than what they had in the first series. Um, and this time we focus on context as kind of that overarching theme that pulled it all together. Let's use literature as the context. And now we'll give you more of these strong math activities. But both of those series are really meant to be about 
really strong strategies for teaching mathematics. Even math by the book that we look at as a math and literature connection, it's not about let's take a book and then we'll do 10 assorted fun math things with it, which we saw a lot when we looked at math literature connections. It was like, let's think of a math skill your third graders need to know and be able to do. Let's find a book that will set a good context to learn that. And then let's show you some really strong teaching that can happen using that context. They're so aligned in terms of their purpose to really elevate math teaching. Let's go off. Let, let's go off trail for just a second here, because I, I, I think the conversation is in, is really interesting in a particular direction. So, going back to the earlier comment about literature and about the way you're using uh, literature to be rich tasks and to focus teachers on good teaching, um, P, you know, Peter Lillendahl's book um, essentially points out that like math, like children's books written with a math focus, sometimes, maybe often, the problems that kids do are artificial and not rich because they're trying to shoehorn them into the CCSS. And personally, I'm kind of beginning to feel like that Tim's comment about our curriculum being a half an inch deep and a mile wide begins with 25 standards in each grade level. So I wonder I wonder if you think all the standards that are as they're currently laid out are serving us or whether we should be there should be an opening for more thinking less uh, what does he call them non-curricular mathematical tasks. What what do you think about that? Well, I, I think sometimes, yes, it still feels like too much, um, even though with CCSS, even we narrowed it down, you know, quite a bit from where it was prior. Um, I, I guess, again, this is an area where I feel like um, we want to support teachers with a lot of discussions and professional learning, because we often see those standards as all these separate pieces. I was working with the district just a couple of days ago with some of the OA, the operations and algebraic thinking standards and looking at nine different standards when in reality, they were so interconnected. And the more we talked about them and reflected on them and the, you know, when we build teacher knowledge and we can teach them together in an interconnected way, it doesn't feel as overwhelming, but we really haven't spent the time or in most schools or had the time in most schools or districts to really help teachers fully understand what they're teaching in mathematics, what these standards are asking, have discussions about connections between them and how one activity can actually be working on three of those standards because they're so intertwined and interconnected. You know, in so many districts, we've really focused on reading over the last couple decades. And when you look at the amount of professional learning in those buildings and what the what the different sessions focus on, you know, 90% of them are focused on reading skills. And yet we have these math standards that, you know, are pretty new to a lot of teachers. 
And the idea that we're asking them to teach math in such a monumentally different way than they were taught it. Mm. Yet we don't have time to have these conversations. So I think sometimes it feels more overwhelming than it needs to if we had more opportunities to really explore and discuss and know the math well ourselves, the, the mathematics wouldn't feel as overwhelming, but we haven't offered teachers that time to do that. Yeah. So at the All Learners, we have what we call our balanced math block. So we have uh, a launch, which is like some kind of number sense routine, you know, a short five to 15 minute, depending on your math time. And then we have a main lesson, which might be, you know, a, a rich problem solving task. And then uh, we shoot for having a menu time, which is kind of like a math workshop. We call it kind of right, right for you. Um, and that's where students can get, you know, tasks that are really geared towards their, uh, you know, kind of zone of proximal development. And then we have a closure. And what I love, and I'm wondering if you can talk about some of the different components of Math by the Book, but for anyone out there who is an all learners kind of junkie, which we have some, um, you know, this resource is such a great, is such a great fit with those, that structure of that balanced math block. So can you, can you talk a little bit about the different components within like a grade level and within a, a you know, a book? Sure. Well, uh, again, because schools and districts haven't had the time to do a lot of professional learning in math. And a lot of teachers, you know, are, are, have not been exposed to a lot of these ideas about teaching practice. You know, we wanted to make sure both in math in practice and in math by the book that these were professional learning resources. And, you know, they're published by Heinemann, which is a professional learning, you know, a professional development publisher. They don't publish just a bunch of activities. They, they want teachers to understand why and how they're doing those things. So we built the features with that in mind, like in math by the book, what you'll find is in each of the grade level books, there's an introduction. And it talks a little bit about how this fits into your standards, because we thought that was important. You need to know that this is fitting into your standards. You know, there is a part one that just talks about what strong teaching is and why we want to do the kinds of things that we're doing throughout these lessons. So it didn't start, it doesn't start with chapter one, which is the first book and the first math topic. It starts with that introductory material that helps you see why those activities are, you know, why are we doing so much problem solving? Why do we have these open-ended tasks, these in every, for every book in every chapter, why do we have a list of open-ended, you know, talk and writing prompts? Why is that important? How would you use that? That kind of thing. Um, now, in each chapter, each chapter focuses on a piece of literature and a math skill or concept. So, and they're, they're linked together. You will, through that book, explore that math skill and concept during the activities in that chapter. It always starts with an about the book, just a quick brief little summary of what the book is about, but also a quick little about the math section, because that way it's a few paragraphs of here's the math your students need to know and be able to do so that 
my vision is that I, you know, maybe a co-planning meeting and teachers are taking a look at that about the math so that they can focus mm -hmm. their attention on what it is students will be learning through these tasks before they ever start to read the tasks and pick what they want to do there. It like focuses them on the mathematical goal there. Then we go into the lessons. There are two to three lessons in each chapter for that math skill. They're either called explore or investigate. So they are not telling kids how to do the math. They're either exploring with materials or they're investigating. And the difference there is the investigations. They're usually doing something. They're always doing something physical. They're, they're um, with materials or drawings. But in the investigations, they're gathering some data and then taking a look at that data with questions like, what do you notice in this data? And does it make sense what's happening in this data? And all of those to make to get that discovery. So you have two or three lessons where students are discovering and exploring that skill or concept. You also have word problems, a list of problems. Some feel more like traditional word problems where there's a specific answer. Many of them are very open-ended. Um, math problems. They're there, they connect to the context, they connect to the skill for teachers to use as they'd like. It might be to open class with, you know, your problem of the day, I can pull one out of this. I know it connects to my context and the math that I'm teaching. It might be an end of the day, it might be a partner problem solving activity. It's up to teachers to use it as they'd like to use it. We do the same thing with each one has a talk and write section except kindergarten, which has a talk and draw section where there are open-ended tasks, open-ended prompts that could be the opener of the day, where it could be an agree or disagree, like a quick routine to open the day. They could be a summary activity. They could be a whole class discussion. They could be a journal writing prompt. They're those open-ended pieces. There's a differentiate section in each chapter. It has a support idea and an enrich idea. The support idea would think about that math skill and think, what is it? What are, what's maybe a foundation to this that some students may, you know, need a little revisiting of and will offer a suggestion. That could be a small group. That could be for the whole class. That would be a great opener, you know, the first five minutes of class to do something, you know, to revisit a foundation in your launch kind of activity. Um, there's an enrich. If you have kids in your group that they're seeming like they have this, they got, they got this idea. Here's a way you can add a little complexity to it. There's a practice section in each chapter and it's never a worksheet. It's always some kind of interactive game. Kids are spinning, kids are rolling, kids are talking, there's strategy in it. Again, that's up to teachers how they use that. It might be a partner game that everyone's doing at the same time. It might be a small group that is doing the game with teacher guidance and questions, and it kind of almost morphs into an instructional task. Um, what am I forgetting here? We have an, ex, uh, an extend section at the end, and that's where we have fun with it. Sometimes it's art, sometimes it's a performance task, sometimes it's a writing project, but it's a way to use that context and kind of extend that idea a little further. 
We also give a couple suggestions of other books that might do the same thing. So if teachers, you know, want to continue this with another book that would have a good context for this skill, we give them some suggestions and we give a link to language arts. So if teachers want to pull this into their language arts time, there is a prompt for a writing task or a drawing task or a discussion activity that doesn't have to do with math, that this time just has to do with the story and the story context. So it can kind of morph over into language arts as well. So that's kind of the way we broke it up. And, and so you can see there's a depth to the learning in each chapter. It, it follows that story context, but it gives lots of resources to be able to teach the math in depth. I mean, I feel like a teacher could jump out of a textbook, go to math in, in, by the book for that lesson and get a pretty deep, you know, dive into that skill, you know, with, with just what's, what's in math by the book because there's so much for each skill. Now with that in mind, we don't cover every skill for the whole year. We picked 20 books connected to 20 math topics that are taught during that school year. And we dive into those. Okay, I so we're math I... in practice, you'll see everything in math in practice. So a teacher could, if they know they have to teach something, they can use math in practice as a resource to find some ideas for that particular skill. Math by the book zeroed in and, and did that deeper dive into 20 of them. It, it's, I think, focus... Honestly, especially with the way the last two years have gone with the pandemic, that focus is becoming a really important part of how schools do mathematics if they want to be effective. Absolutely. Well, I'm so thrilled, too. I've had a few districts um, talk with me about selecting either math in practice or math by the book for things like after school programs. Mm -hmm intervention programs, enrichment programs, because in both of those, you can identify where that skill is and pick, you know, just pick that chapter and those activities. I had a district that was working on some of the, the number strategies because their assessments were indicating that their kids needed more support in the numbers in base 10 kind of ideas. And so they purchased those pieces of literature and dove into those chapters of math by the book to give their kids that that deeper dive into, you know, the particular skills that were important to those students. I could see teachers using it for a main lesson. I could see teachers pulling pieces out of that for the inclusion part of our lesson for everybody to be able to uh, access the lesson together. Absolutely. And I think, uh, I know you mentioned it, but the, I just think the games are so important. I mean, I, you and I together wrote a game for, um, for Hanukkah Bear, which was using the dreidel and having students, it was really uh, focused on multiples of five. And I played that with students, you know, I, I mean, I went into schools here in Burlington, uh, one school in particular, and, uh, and, and tried all of these activities out and the kids just they couldn't stop. They didn't want to stop. They just loved it. So it was really, I mean, it was really not challenging to get, to get students to interact with this math um, after you've read a book and then, and then you do, you have some engaging activity or a, you know, a rigorous task. 
Uh, and what I love about those games too is, you know, while the kids are having fun and engaged in it and chatting as they're talking, they just such an awesome formative assessment opportunity for teachers when games are going on. Because you just move through that classroom and watch and listen. And right away, while they're playing that game, you can identify the kids who who understand those multiples of five, who are understanding, but still kind of working on fluency with them, or kids that really are not understanding the patterns that are being created. It just gives you so much insight when you watch kids play those games. And we made sure that the games were very specific to the skills. So instead of just like a multiplication game that, you know, you roll a die and multiply any number by any number, you know, we were doing that constant repetition of multiplying by five because our goal was for them to, you know, practice that the mental strategies and the patterns they've been seeing. So I think that's so important is that games are, you know, precise. They're they're specific to the skill that you're working on. Absolutely. Um, what's what's next for you, Sue? Gosh, I don't know. <laughs> I have a lot of different projects on the table, um, and I'm trying to make some decisions with, um, you know, book ideas. And so I haven't. I haven't quite made my decision. I generally write in that, you know, probably the last three years of my life has been totally embedded in this math by the book. And I generally need like a few months after it actually comes out in print to kind of take a deep breath and get myself together and kind of decide where I'm heading next. But I have a couple really exciting um writing possibilities. So I think you will see more writing. That's very exciting to hear. Sue, is there anything else you want to mention about Math by the Book uh, that we neglected to ask you about? No, I'm just very proud of it. You know, I, I'm proud of um, the, the depth that we go into in the teaching. I'm proud that it elevates math and literature beyond just being, let's read a book and do a few fun things with it, that it really makes it, you know, the teaching of essential mathematics. And, you know, I hope it um, really excites teachers and, and, and engages students and also really just gives that, that model of what good math teaching looks like. Well, mathematicians, we hope you all enjoyed our conversation with Sue O'Connell about math and children's literature, and please check out her new series, Math by the Book, um, featuring one of our very own T.J. Jemison on there. Remember, you forgot you, the amazing T.J. Oh, sorry, the amazing <laughs> T.J. Jemison. I'm going to have to change that at the end of this. Remember, you can find a recording of today's podcast at alllearnersnetwork.com and on Spotify or Anchor, search ALN Math Talk, along with free weekly online lessons, high leverage concepts, high leverage assessments, high leverage t-shirts, belt buckles, and coffee mugs. ALN Math Talk is produced by the All Learners Network, all rights reserved. Executive producers, Sandy, Miss Elementary Math, Stanhope, and John, I was just thinking Tapper. TJ, the amazing designer. <laughs> Jemison is the co-host. Spiritual and mathematical guidance has been provided by Robert Fly in the Water Microbrew Stats Loving Laird, who reminds us we'd probably be more successful if we just drew a freaking picture. <laughs>
Our theme music was written and performed by Sarah Blair. Join us next time for another ALN Math Talk, and we're hoping to have a conversation with Dr. Nick Newton. Great. Thanks, everybody. See you next time. <laughs>